Ah, sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinock. Well, the news media is pretty good at keeping us informed that there's an awful lot of conflict and persecution and what have you in various parts of the Middle East and Iraq and Syria, a whole problem of ISIS. What we don't hear much about is the Jewish community and the plight of Jews. Maybe you don't even realize there still is at least a a little bit of a Jewish community left in some of these areas. Uh, Our guest today, my good friend Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine, was at a reception recently for a Jewish leader in Kurdistan region of Iraq. Uh, Lincoln, I'm eager to hear uh, what the report is from Kurdistan and this Jewish leader. So welcome back to Freedom's Ring. It's my pleasure. Yeah, this was an amazing uh, moment. I I attended the reception on... uh... April the 19th, the day before he uh, and, and some other dignitaries from Kurdistan had been presented to the different congressional offices. But this was a formal coming out, and there were a number of uh, top people there, including uh, uh, Congressman uh, uh, Franks, uh, who heads the, uh, I'm trying to remember the title, but basically the Religious uh, Freedom Caucus in, in Congress. Uh, I noticed Elmay Kalazar, the past ambassador to Iraq, was there. Uh, but it was all about this recent appointment of a Jewish Iraqi slash Kurd, for <laughs> what is a better definition, uh, a Mr. Mumsani, to this new position as director for Jewish uh, affairs in the Kurdistan uh, Autonomous uh, Region government. You know, they're on their way to a separate state, there's no question. And they basically have a complete operating government. Uh, with him was the uh, director. Uh, the Ministry of Religious Affairs from, from Kurdistan, Marwan uh, Naksabandi. Uh, but uh, it was in a historic moment to see this this Jewish Iraqi tell how his community, which is very little known about it, has been uh, uh, a part of the, the community there for hundreds of years, very well integrated. He uh, had nothing bad to say about their long-term relations with the community. But, of course, with the rise of terrorism, Islamic terrorism, his life has been uh, uh, on the line. Twice he said that the terrorists had tried to kill him. On one occasion, they blew his hand off, and it was a very somber reminder of the reality of that that country at the moment. But uh, here he had a uh, an artificial hand that, that almost looked like a, a, he was a Buddha figure there in front of us. Uh, but a very dignified gentleman who said that People have told him to flee, but he wants to stay with his community. He said there are other Jewish uh, uh, people there that are well integrated and, and, and supporting of, of the Kurdish identity. But uh, he said it's his duty, his uh, nationalist duty to stay there and to work for both his own religious community and uh, the, the larger Kurdish identity. So, I, you know, as you say, there's a lot of bad things coming out of Iraq, but this is a very hopeful sign where a, a, a very vulnerable religious minority is, is integrated in a public commitment that they will operate peacefully with the Kurds, who are mostly Muslims, of course. Sure. Now, I understood that there had been an ancient Jewish community remaining in Baghdad, 
and that has been almost entirely eliminated after the fall of Saddam Hussein. Yes, they mentioned that, yeah. Well, as you know, uh, Saddam Hussein, uh, uh, not a nice person, but with the Ba'ath Party, they actually protected all the religious minorities and equal rights under the law. With the U.S. invasion, which fomented, in essence, civil war, everybody turned against everybody else, but uh, all the radical Islamic factions turned on the religious minorities. Jews, Christians, uh, the Assyrian Christians in particular, ancient uh, Christians, all, uh, uh, well, they were either killed or, or intimidated out of the neighborhood. I'm curious, in terms of Kurdistan, I've heard reports, for example, in the city of Mosul, all the churches have been destroyed. There are no Christians. No Christians in Mosul. Um, is there uh, is there a similar problem in Kurdistan as far as the destruction of churches and no. and religious communities or uh, religious minorities have been able to uh, avoid? Well, they stated that that uh, you know we've heard in the media the uh, Yazdis are, are being protected by the Kurds as well as some other minorities. I mean, I think there was a positive cast put over it because in that whole region, factions of Islam and Yazdis are not directly a faction of Islam, but the factions are all stirring. And I cannot believe that, that Kurdistan is totally immune to this, but politically it's a stable environment and they're not encouraging uh, violence. Thought. And so uh, it, it was obvious from this, this new Jewish representative that he feels that there's a future for his religious community, and he spoke more broadly that uh, they have a commitment to uh, uh, defend all religious minorities. You know, this is really, um, it, it's, I'm glad you suggested we do this topic, Lincoln, because the Jewish community has been pretty much shipped out of so many different Arab countries and Muslim countries. And so it's just uh, very heartening. It is heartening. Here is a thoroughly Muslim country. Now, Kurds are not Arabs, are they? No, they're not, they're not Arabs. They're a distinct people group, just like uh, Iranians or uh, Persians. Kurds are, are a distinct one. And, of course, uh, thanks to the uh, foresight of the uh, British colonialists and the French a little bit, they've divvied up the Arab world to cut up the Kurdish uh, peoples. And I'm trying to remember the number. I was speaking to... Uh, um, Mr. Mamsani, and, and I seem to remember he said that there are 20-some million Kurds. There's certainly enough of them to form a, uh, a national identity, although it would be a landlocked country, which is never too good. Uh, but uh, uh, Iran is, is fighting against them, and of course Turkey, our erstwhile ally in the NATO bloc, is uh, quite would rather fight the Kurds than ISIL. Yeah, that is amazing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> they see the Kurdish autonomy a greater threat than uh, than the butchery of ISIL. Oh, my. Uh, this is such a confusing mess over there. Well, you know, I did a show last time I was recording on the prophetic implications of ISIL and uh, the Sunni apocalyptic expectations. But, you know, while we're on the subject of Turkey, uh, you know, this uh, we're right about the time of the commemoration of the 101st anniversary of the Armenian Genocide. Right. Now, I should have mentioned that this uh, reception, of course, with the announcing this new position in what amounts to Kurdistan, uh, 
only followed by a few days a congressional designation of what's happening in Iraq as against religious minorities as genocide. Right. That's that's a very significant moment. And I seem to remember that it wasn't that long ago that the Congress took a similar action designating uh, the Armenian thing as a genocide. And, of course, Turkey went ballistic. They don't even want to acknowledge that it even happened. Right, right. But it's worth reminding our listeners that this was a major event uh, around 19... Um, uh, so get my year right. Is it 1915? Somewhere around there. It's on the radio this morning. 101st yes. uh, anniversary this year. So yeah, 1915. Yeah, yeah, 1915. Uh, the Turkey, of course, and you talk about prophecy. Seventh Day Adventists uh, uh, always saw a role for Turkey in prophecy, but got it a little bit wrong. They thought it would fall, but as World War One came along, Turkey was collapsing. The Ottoman uh, Turkish Empire was collapsing. And the instability that generated created a, a Muslim xenophobia. And the uh, the uh, Sultan, Abdul Hamid II, said that he was going to deal with the Armenian question. Uh, not just Hitler, but this was considerably before, the Armenian question. And so they started to marginalize them, allow state countenance uh, uh, pogroms against them. Uh, he was over, overtaken, but then the young Turks, the modern political uh, modern state of Turkey activists, they turned on them too. And the great irony, why I think it needs to be linked to our previous discussion, the great irony was that when the bloodshed began, the Ottoman Turkish state turned to the Kurds, a minority within their state, but, but Islamic, to use them as the butchers to kill one and a half million Armenians on a trail of tears as they headed out into the desert in straggling columns that were picked off by these marauders. And, and oh, the tales of butchery are still chilling, even with ISIS around in our day. Well, so that was a million and a half people killed without the benefits of uh, of gas chambers. Right. And the Armenians were a Christian community, an ancient Christian community. Right. A claim has been made, which I question. They say it was the earliest people group to accept Christianity as their national religion. I'm not so sure about that, but it was one of the earliest, and they were well identified as having not just an ethnic, but a, a religious uh, uh, identity, and that made them stand out greatly in Turkey, and, and as always, when there's religious prejudice, the charge was made that they were not true nationalists, that they were taking advantage financially because, you know, they were industrious, and their community stood out, and it always seemed to be wealthy and having power and prestige, and it was taken away from them brutally. But it is a wonderful fact, a reversal of history, I think, that the modern-day Kurds, whether they've learned from the past, you couldn't say, but they're functioning in a protector's role against some of the minorities in their area. So it would be well for Christians everywhere, then, to remember and commemorate uh, the 101st anniversary of the Armenian Genocide. Absolutely. And see that as, uh, you know, as a major modern persecution of a Christian community. Well, you know, whether it was the Jews in, in the Great Holocaust in, in World War II, or the Armenians, or, or even uh, not a religious, but the uh, ethnic genocide that happened in uh, in uh, Rwanda, we can't remind ourselves too often because humankind has shown an incredible proclivity to drift into these types of bloodlettings. I mean, I just don't believe for a minute that the problems of World War II and Hitler and and Auschwitz and that has inoculated our modern society against it. I don't think at all. And, you know, I, you and I don't know what it means, but even when I go online and see these these facilities across the U.S., I wonder 
have we not learned? It wouldn't take more than, than maybe a, a dramatic political collapse, economic collapse and so on, and we might easily be tempted to indulge in, in sweeps of people groups. When we look at the, you know, the designation of ISIS as genocide, and we look at the way they're conducting themselves, um, I had one person describe it to me as, well, you know, this is how warfare was always done. You plunder your enemies, you take their women, you know, rape their women, and, uh, you know, this is exactly the kind of brutality that we're seeing. That's right. ISIS both exemplifies the Quranic instructions for uh, jihad. Uh, they and, and a lot of the modern groups are, are reverting to the, the medieval warfare and its most bestial. And, and I read articles, as you do, that argue, and even a presidential candidate, that waterboarding and all the rest. In other words, uh, the situation demands it. Let's be tough. And I think as civilized people with Christian sensibilities, many of us in this country, we need to hold back and learn from the past. We don't go down that dark alley. We need to hang on to our civilization. Right. That's even more basic. There's a picture I use in my presentations with churches. It's a picture of somebody about to be beheaded. And there's a crowd gathered to watch. And there's a family with young children. And they're watching as though this were entertainment. And it's just absolutely appalling. But that's not far-fetched. It was entertainment in the Middle Ages to see the uh, heretic beheaded or eroded. People came out for it. It was literal entertainment. And we're out of time. Our guest today... My good friend Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine, we've been talking about uh, Kurdistan and protection of religious minorities there, uh, quite a change from the usual in the Middle East, and uh, we're grateful for you to be with us today on Freedom's Ring, Lincoln. Thank you. As we close, we want to remind our listeners here at Freedom's Ring, we don't just talk about it, we offer help to those suffering religious discrimination. Check out our legal resources page at churchstate.com. Org, churchstate.org. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring. <laughs>